Okay. Well, it is time, so we're going to go ahead and get started with our Sunday school. So we're going to start with a word of prayer. Our Father, most kind and gracious Lord, Lord, it is once again that we come in your presence, praising you and worshiping you and giving you thanks, praising you for all that you are, the King of kings and Lord of lords. We thank you for the opportunity once again to come together, Father. We're asking you at this time to help us, Lord, to understand your awesome word, the message that's in this Sunday school lesson, asking that you will touch our instructor today, Father God, that we, Lord, as your children, will receive all that you have in this lesson for us. We're asking your blessings on the community. We're asking your blessings on the church. The leaders of this flock, Father God, we ask that you will continue to bless and empower, Lord God. Asking you that you will continue, Father God, to watch over and protect and shield those, Father, that are daily in harm's way. You are a great and mighty God, and there is no one greater. And we put our trust in you. Asking today, Father, that in all things that we do, that your will be done. Bless us, even in the service, Father God. And Lord God, as we go forth, make us a blessing to you. Bless those that will come and those that are on the line already, Father. We just thank you and praise you and give you glory in the blessed name of Jesus. Amen. We are today studying lesson 14, which is the final lesson in this quarter, um, the Messianic Prophecies. Subject of today's lesson is the King's Eternal Throne. The lesson text is found in Psalms 45, verses 1 through 17. And related scriptures to this is Colossians 1, 13 through 20, Hebrews 1, 6 through 12, Revelation 11, 15 through 17, 12, 10 through 11, and 19, 6. The time is unknown. The place probably Jerusalem. Our golden text reads, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. Psalms 45 and 6. Our introduction to this lesson will be read to us today by Sister Clora Smith. Sister Clara. Yes, ma'am. It is appropriate that the text for the final lesson of this quarter is Psalms 45. This psalm has long been regarded by Christians as a song of praise extolling the Messianic King Jesus. It is a fitting combination to our series of Messianic prophecy. Several issues need to be resolved in dealing with this psalm. Does it point to the future king and messiah of Israel? What has been, excuse me, the traditional Jewish approach? To become astute readers of the Bible, 
we must consider two important truths of biblical interpretation. Scripture informs scripture, meaning one passage of scripture sheds light on other parts. And scripture is its own best interpreter, a warning against imposing personal views on the meaning of the text. These principles will serve us well in reading any portion of scripture, especially passages where the meaning is obscure or, or interpretation may be difficult. At its surface level, Psalms 45 celebrates in idealized terms the wedding of a future Davianic king. At a deeper level, it points to the future son of David, the Messiah King Jesus. Thank you, Sister Clara. I don't know about anybody else, but the lessons that we've been having, especially in this quarter, has been so deep that you have to really get deep and study to get into it. This lesson is no different. So today's lesson has four outlines. Outline number one is the writer, and that's Psalm 45 and 1. Number two, the king, that's verses 22 through 9. The king's bride, verses 10 through 15. And lastly, the king's children, that's verses 16 through 17. We're going to conclude that as our opening portion right now. And we're going to give way for our teacher to fully develop this lesson and bring it to us as God has given it to him. And that is in the person of Elder Michael McElwee. Thank you. Amen. Praise the Lord, saints. Praise right. the Lord. Amen. King, the king's eternal throne. Uh, it's basically, this is eschatological. Es I might not be saying that right. Somebody know exactly what I'm saying, but nonetheless, I'm not asking anybody to correct me. However, uh, it's talking about more than like end times, we could say. Um, so uh, thank you. I hope everybody been well through the, and safe through the week. So um, we're going to look at our uh, uh, outline, like she said, the right, and this is what we're going to deal with first is the uh, the writer here in Psalms 45 and 1. Although it's like it's 150 Psalms here, but uh, here in this final lesson, uh, we find a royal wedding uh, or a love song, if you will. It communicates the, the great joy of the day when Christ uh, will be re reunited with his bride, which is the church. It seems that the poet here, I mean, we, I'm gonna say poet, I'm gonna say writer, I'm gonna say psalmist. All three of them, we're talking about the same person. It seems that the poet is writing of a, of a, a specific Jewish king whose identity is unknown. And Psalm, Psalms 45 is a, a unique psalm. It was uh, written to celebrate a wedding of a king and to declare his magnificence. It is said about half the Psalms, uh, half of the Psalms in, in the, the book of Psalms is attributed to David. His son Solomon wrote two of the Psalms. Ethan wrote one. Moses wrote one. 
Psalms 45, uh, however, and remains anonymous, just like whatever remains in the Psalms. Like I said, it's like 150 Psalms, and it's a lot of uh, 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 Psalms there that are unknown, have unknown writers. Some commentators on the Psalms think that uh, the Messianic Psalms have a dual, have a dual meaning. I mean, you might have seen this in your, in your lesson. Uh, this is another way of saying Psalm 45 meant one thing uh, before Jesus came to the earth and something else after he had arrived, you know, because Jesus in his first advent, he came and he suffered, bled, and died for our sin. But uh, uh, it is better to see these particular Psalms having both an earthly and a divine meaning. They speak of the historic king of Israel, as well as the prophetic king, Messiah. Some commentators, uh, they do have a problem with uh, Psalms 45, but nonetheless, we're going to try to do it the best that we can, because uh, I'm going to need your input. And like Sister Rackliff said earlier, uh, uh, this was one song, <laughs> I mean, one lesson that uh, really took some study and just pray my strength in the Lord. That's why I'm asking, asking you. Amen. Praise God. So verse one says, what does the sacred, I'm not, this is my question to the, to the saints. What does the uh, sacred, who is this sacred composer? Amen. Where he said, my heart is indicting. What does that mean? Anybody? Praise God. You know, it could mean eagerness, right? It, it's some kind of emotion of uh, excitement, right? Uh, like uh, uh, being overwhelmed or overjoyed or something like that, overflowing. He, this psalmist was overflowing with love, amen, for his king. And so it was just like uh, he just had it. He was so geeked to want to say something Amen. About this king of his. Amen. At this particular time. And he says, I speak of the things which I've made touching the king. Here, here, here it is, something the writer must say, and he wishes he can tell it. Now, John Matt MacArthur, he says that this particular writer's tongue was, he said that uh he couldn't, he wished that he could tell it, but his tongue was moving faster than his pen. Anybody else have anything on verse one? Because you said, my heart is indicting a good matter. I speak of the things which I have made, touching the king. My tongue is a pen of a ready writer. He was like a ready scribe or, uh, you know, he was skilled and all of that. But he was, he was, he wanted to write something here and he couldn't wait. The ideas and everything was formulating and it was, it was on his tongue, but his pen couldn't catch up with all of that. Anybody else? Can y'all hear me? But just as you guys said, Elder. <laughs> Amen. There you are. Amen. But number two, verse it does two. Appear, it does appear that, you know, as the writer has saying, my heart is indicting a good matter. That there's just so much. He's bubbling over with, with ideas and pride and goodness and things, you know. 
as when God has done something great for us, you know, we can't wait to get our testimony out. But in this case, it is just like he, it, all of these things he wants to say, and, and it, it is almost overwhelming to his heart right now, just bubbling over, trying to get it out. So he's mm-hmm. trying to pin it. Right, right. Hey, any other comments? Yeah, with the joy overflowing in his heart, it was mm-hmm. that it was the floodgate was so open that he was so much that he can put into words, you know? mm-hmm. and 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 that's what I got out of it. Amen. So uh, uh, it was saying here, you know, uh, uh, the next verses all the way to verse nine is talking about the king, the king. But uh, we want to go through them as as uh, as expeditiously as as we can. Uh, here in verse two, it says that uh, thou art fairer than the children of the, of men. Grace has has is poured into thy lips. Therefore, God has blessed thee forever. The king here in Psalms forty five, Amen. It says. Uh, uh, that uh, this is you know what I said in regards to his tongue being to uh, uh, where he couldn't was moving faster than his pen. What he's doing is painting a picture of praise that he's he's giving a note to the king, and uh, uh, he's describing this king, amen. In regards to who this particular person is, and he's going with the king's qualities or his physical talents. He said that the king is a, is a good-looking person. The king is handsome, attractive. And it was alluding to some of the other kings in the, in the uh, Old Testament, talking about King David there in uh, 1 Samuel 17, 42, and talking about uh, King Saul. He was, they said he was tall, dark, and handsome, but he didn't have any, he had no brains. But, uh, uh, and his son, David's son, Absalom. Absalom was a very, very attractive young man too in 2 Samuel 14, 25. And Ananiah, Ananijah, 1 King uh, 1, 5, and 6. These guys were David's sons and they were very, very attractive. And I forgot one more. Uh, at 8037 Lark Lane, Elder Mac, uh, I'm going on. Yes, sir. <laughs> Anybody else have anything on verse? We're, we're talking kings here now, okay? Uh, well, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna co-heir with Christ. Yeah, he, he's king this house. <laughs> so, what is the implication by the words "grace" is poured out on his lips and all of that? What is that? What is that saying? God has anointed this king's lips or his words, right? He anointed the king's words, referencing back to Luke, the fourth chapter. There in Luke, the fourth chapter, we find, and starting with verse 18, but it, in, your, in your lesson, it has 422, and I'm going to go with that one as well. But in Luke 418 through, 20, let's go say 418 through 22, is where Jesus uh, was given his commission in regards to how he was going to go out and do what he was sent to do. And uh, and when he got done saying what he was going to do, he said he closed the scroll or closed the book, and he sat down, 
And, uh, and it was where it said that all who bore witness to that of his reading marveled at his gracious words, which proceeded out of his mouth. Amen. Then we find another time when uh, in John the seventh chapter, right, where the Pharisees uh, uh, told the, uh, some of the officers there to go and arrest Jesus. Amen. There in 732. And, but in verse 40, 46, when they came back, the, the, uh, they said, what happened? You know, they said they had never, uh, what, what did they say? They never have had heard a man speak the way, amen, this man speak. Man. So what, what God did was lavished his grace on the king. Anybody have any other comments? Just the word of the Lord just uh, it just captivated them and to the point to where they were so caught up in what he's saying, they forgot about the mission, mm -hmm. what they came there for. Mm -hmm. And it just shows that the anointing of God was so, has such of an impact mm -hmm. to they were mesmerized, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's even as today, you know, you can get uh, a message, it can be right to the point to where it, it just, you know, you, you get caught up, emotional and everything, and just bring you to the point of uh, being humble and, and to his mercy. And that's what the word does. I mean, Jesus had that neck in me. It, it, it was soothing, it, it was medicine to the soul. Amen. You know, Jesus, uh, he came as 100% man, right? And 100% God. So in saying 100% God for those, amen, out in the world who don't really understand that the 100% man is probably, they could probably relate to. But even at that, our Lord King Jesus, he said no guile was found in his mouth. Out of all that had happened to him, all the ridicule, all the attempts to kill him, amen, he, he got angry, but he said not. He talked about the disciples, how little faith they had. He was angry with them. He turned over money table. He wasn't using any kind of bad language as a result of what he was doing physically compared to who? Us, right? Amen. We know what we, it, it don't take hardly anything for us. Amen. Uh-oh, uh, you done, you done pushed the wrong button here. Now, it, you know, you done knocked the chip off my shoulder. Mm -hmm. I, I'm gonna deal with you. You know, this is well, this wasn't Jesus. God has la lavished His grace on this particular king. Amen. So, gracious words, as a result, proceeded from His mouth. So, the fact that Jesus fulfilled the words of Psalms of this particular Psalms to a greater degree, right, to a greater degree than and could be said of anyone else, lends weight, amen, to the case that this particular Psalm is messianic in every point and it points to christ amen well hebrews 1 6 through 12 tells us that his throne is forever and ever right amen. and his years will not fail even though all else will grow old and perish that's talking about who that's talking about us mm. or anything else uh, uh plant life animal life bird life all oh, living things is going to come to an end sometime. It's going to wax old. Anybody? I hear somebody. 
I said that also applies to the earthly kings before those mm -hmm. those earthly kings, not this king, the Messiah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Verse 3. It says, Gird thy sword upon thy thigh, O most mighty, with thy glory and thy majesty. What is that saying before I give you my understanding? Anybody? <clears throat> How did Jesus secure his throne? Well, it's interesting, Elder, because um, at first he came meek and humble. You know, mm -hmm. But uh, we know that when he returns, uh, not only is Christ a lamb, but he's also a lion, as uh, Revelation said. <laughs> Mm -hmm. So he comes back with uh, authority and power. Yes, and sir. His verses show that he's a, a warrior, mm -hmm. a, a prepared warrior, because it begins to talk about uh, uh, the equipment that he has. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Anyone else? That's good. Oh, I always like to look at it like, um, you know, how we go to our closet and we put on different suits or clothes. It's like Jesus was God vehicle here on earth, how he suited up in him and how they became one and walking. I mean, it was just like, you know, he had, he didn't, he gave him everything. He had powers, authority, mm. scepter in his hand, you know, and he's, that's why he was able to, know everything and did things and did it correctly because of the God that was in him. It's like that they, they decided that God suited up himself to come down to deal with uh, uh, our issues and things in life. That's the way I just sometimes look at it. Hey Amen. I know last week's lesson time, he put on the whole armor, like the whole armor. Exactly. You know, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet, and all of that. He was putting these things on, alluding that that's what we need to do. We, exactly. we Christ, we're Christ-like. So we do, sixth chapter of Ephesians, the same thing. You know, we put on the whole armor of God to fight a good fight for the Lord. The, the, eternal, uh, the eternal king here, he secures his forever throne by conquering his enemies. He even tells us that we are more than conquerors, right? I mean, Elder C. Wright, he didn't correct me or anything like this, but I said, yeah, I'm a soldier and all of that. But then uh, I think he had some comments later on. He said, yeah, but I think it's, it's more that we are warriors. Amen. We are warriors. We are fighting a fight. Amen. In regards to these three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And man, we got to be prepared for these enemies. And we got to be like Jesus. We got we to gotta put on these, this armor. But uh, this, this eternal king, amen, secures his throne by conquering his enemies. So whatever these adversaries that we have out, out there, we're more than conquerors and well able to, to get the victory. We fight from victory we, that, that we already got. So we stand on the victory that we have. And from there, you put up your dukes, right? Amen. So he's a warrior king, right? Uh, the lesson say he's a hero with a messianic title. Psalms 24 and 8 said, who is this king? Who is the king of glory, right? Strong and mighty. Amen. Isaiah. 
mighty in battle, right? This is the game, Psalms 24 and 8. Isaiah 9 and 6 says that his name will be called what? Wonderful Counselor, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Amen. Mighty God, right? Amen. He's mighty in battle. Amen. Would you not have him fighting for you? Or, amen. Yeah, but, you know, like I said, we're co-heirs. And, and all of this up until the point that Christ takes us, takes us, my brothers and sisters, up out of here, all of this is for us. Amen. Every last bit of it. And we can do cartwheels, backflips. We can definitely rejoice in the fact that these things that God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit are doing in these times, are for the men and women of God today. Amen. Anybody else? Amen. That's good. And verse four says, and in thy man, we still talking about the king, and in thy majesty ride prosperous because of truth and meekness and righteousness, and thy right hand shall teach thee terrible things. Anybody wanna uh, take, a, take a stab at that first? Yeah, those words of truth, meekness, and righteousness, um, the commentator talked about how it's not usually associated with warfare, um, but right, these right. are associated with the Messiah. So um, truth, um, the fact that he's meek and righteous. Right. Mm -hmm. Anyone? That's good. Anybody else? It also speaks of the reason uh, or the... Uh, cause or motivation of uh, his warfare. He's fighting for uh, righteousness and meekness and truth. And, uh, mm -hmm. and it's uh, hard to, as one writer states, it's, it's, it's hard to believe that folks would actually uh, fight against him if, if that's your motivation, mm -hmm. truth and righteousness. But yet men are so uh, wrong that they uh, fight against these things at times. And um, so he comes for the purpose of not only fighting on our behalf, but he's fighting for truth and meekness and righteousness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he's writing, we find in, in Revelations, I, I, I didn't really look at it, I just, I, I was in my mind to look it up in regards to the, what he was writing on. He said he, and he would ride, right? Ride prosperously. He's riding here though. And his, his sword is right there, you know, how they rolled back then. So the Jews at the, at, uh, uh, in, in the Bible was looking, or in the New Testament, was looking for a, a, a warrior king or a warrior like a Messiah who would what, take care of the, the, the pressures of Rome that, that was oppressing them at this particular time. And they were felt that at, this, at that particular time that the Messiah was coming. Well, they were right. He was coming, but he wasn't coming like, like they thought he would, mm. like a warrior king. But now this is what he's going to come as now. Amen. He's going to come like that. And I'm, I'm quite sure they probably had prophecy back then to, to state that this is how he's going to come. Because uh, uh, Old Testament prophecy was way back. I mean, a New Testament prophecy was way back in Old Testament as well. How do we know that? Oh, what? We're talking about Psalms 45? Yeah. Amen. So it says here, uh, the writer wishes the king's success in his military pursuits. He, his sword was girded, right, at his side. And it speaks of authority and dominating power. 
he confidently leads his troops to victory. What troops? He said, we're going to come back with them and the angels. Yeah. Amen. Uh, and some, do some warfare down here. Hmm. So the splendor and ma majesty speaks his splendor and majesty speaks of his past victories and additional victories every time he marches out. Every time the Lord marches out, brand new victories over and over and over again. How is, how is that applicable to us? I mean, I'm not in tomorrow yet. <laughs> but when I go out tomorrow, uh, hey, I'm still, if, if, the Lord, if the Lord blesses, I'm going out with what he's given me today and yesterday mm -hmm. to, get the, to, to, to be a conqueror, to get the victory in areas where I didn't get the victory in today or yesterday. At least there's the opportunity, right, to do that. Man. So these are, these are additional victories that he's going to accomplish as he marches out. Every time, every time he marches out, his glory and majesty are enhanced out, he says, by his truth. Y'all mentioned that. Amen. Uh, uh, his majesty is enhanced out by his meekness. Amen. And his righteousness. So mm -hmm. I know, Martin, you said that these attributes are not necessarily connected to warfare, right? But it is associated, though, Elder C, right, like you said, with the Messiah in the Bible, where he said in John 1, 14, where the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory full of grace and truth. Amen. He didn't get, you know, he's, uh, though he, remember he divested himself when he came down as man? He didn't have the prerogative, and I don't know. I don't know what all the prerogatives that he divested himself of, but I know one prerogative that he did, and that was being omnipresent. Why? Amen. Why we know that? Because he walked down here on earth. Now his also, omniscience and his omnipotence was still there, but he was acting. It was seeming like. The omniscience took the place of being omnipresent because when people came to my daughter, it says it was Jairus' daughter. Uh, stuff like that, that Jesus was doing, and he wasn't in the presence to lay hands on. So, you know, uh, he divested himself there, we find in, in uh, Philippians, of, of some of his rights when he came, for his, his prerogatives, some of those prerogatives that he had. Because before he came, he had all authority. And we know in John 17, chapter, around the fifth verse, he said, give me the glory, Lord. Because he, he was getting ready to say, it's finished, right? Give me the glory that I had before I came down. So he had everything. He had everything. He didn't, he had, all his prerogatives was intact before he came. So here he's saying that uh, it, it was almost like uh, 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 similar to that. Though we don't see humility and, and, and these particulars, in, uh, uh, but it's not to say that uh, he didn't use them, you know, because uh, being who he is, God, right? Uh, we didn't say here in the lesson that he, he divested himself of that. But no, you don't usually find that when you're fighting a battle. Amen. Anybody we, Yeah, when I, when I look at verses three and four together in light of what you just said, Elder, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I can imagine the amount of confidence that comes when you got a sword on your thigh, but you, <laughs> you're fighting with your through thy glory and thy majesty. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he was given the glory mm-hmm. that he had first had. Uh, he doesn't have to fear uh, in this fight. When you go into it with all your glory and your majesty, and there's no fear of losing because the victory's already won. Death couldn't mm-hmm. uh, defeat him. And there's no fear. Sometimes we fight not to lose. Uh, and yet he doesn't have to worry about that mm-hmm. because of all the victories that he has won and has overcome. And, and that, so he can come and use truth and meekness and righteousness, mm-hmm. which again, does not seem like uh, weapons of warfare, mm-hmm. but yet he can use the, the, the most insignificant things because the victory is already his. Yes, sir, brother. Yes, sir. Also, Elder Mac, I remember in Rome, uh, in Romans, it speaks of, uh, Romans 8 talks about that the same spirit that was in Jesus mm-hmm. that raised him from the dead yes. would be the same spirit yes, sir. that will raise us mm-hmm. and just remind us of the power you know, of God, the mm-hmm. present of it, when we talk about, you know, the, the weaponry and we're talking about the power of God that was in him. That's why what I was saying earlier about how God suited up, I mean, he couldn't do no wrong. Everything had to be right because God was in him. And as we, you know, accept Jesus Christ in our life, mm-hmm. I said mm-hmm. that these are the sons of God. You know, the same power, the same spirit that was in Christ being us. Amen. So, so this is where we get victory. Mm-hmm. We know he used the sword before to chop off some some ears, didn't an ear. And uh, Peter was getting ready to probably do some other bodily harm until Jesus said, put up your sword. That's but right. We know that the word of God is a sword, right? Amen. That's right. And, and that's it. And that's <laughs> what the joints, mouth, the word. Intense of heart, everything. Yeah. All right. Anyone else have anything on verse four that they want to bring out? Good job. Verse five. Verse five says, Thine arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies, whereby the people fall under thee. The, the arrows are sharp in the, in the heart of the king's enemies, whereby the people fall under thee. Here in verse 5, based on the fact that he is the creator, right, of all things, according to Colossians 1, 16 and 17, amen, uh, these things give him the preeminence in everything. The psalmist emphasizes here that there is no escape in judgment, none, because sharp arrows, the sharp arrows of the Messiah, Amen. He can't miss. It's going to reach every enemy that he has. He can't miss. Nations will be subdued for Christ is the king, is king. And when he comes back, we find in Matthew, the 25th chapter, you know, they'd be saying, Lord, Lord, when did we do these for you? And uh, he said, when you did it to the least of these. And then the others were going to say, when we did not do these things unto you. 
when you did not do it to the least of these? And so he's separating sheep from goats. And say so he's going to destroy the goats with the word of his mouth. Sharp arrows. He's going to get his enemies. He's going to get every, every last one of them. And these guys are going to try to stop in Revelations, Jesus from coming back down to set up his kingdom. And the nations of the world. He said there's going to be so much blood up to the, in, in Israel when they come against Magog and God. It's going to be up to the horse's bridle. He's going to get his enemies. He's going to deal with them. Amen. And you know what? He deals with us. He chastens us. He don't like wrong. He don't like wrong. He give us another chance. And until you, he's long suffering, right? But another chance and long suffering, is that, is that everlasting? No, it's gonna come to a point where it could be, I gave you, and uh, yesterday you did, and I gave you to tomorrow, or uh, the next hour. I'm gonna deal with you whenever it is, because we are under the created time right now. Long suffering is a created thing. And God used his long suffering based on time for us. So it's going to come a point in time where all of this is going to come, amen, to a screeching halt. And his enemies, he's going to deal with anybody. We see a transition of power in Revelations 11 through 5 when the kingdoms of the world are become the kingdoms of our Lord. The king, like I said, during the millennial kingdom will rule with a rod of iron. Why would he rule in the millennial kingdom, his kingdom that he set up for a thousand years, anybody? Why would he rule with a rod of iron there? Because he's going to bound Satan for the whole thousand years of the millennial kingdom. So why would he rule like that? Anybody? Yeah, he still will have an issue with, uh, with people that uh, oh. are trying to be right. <laughs> there you go. There's a fallen nature going on there, isn't it? Oh, yeah. It was a fallen nature after Noah, right? Remember Noah? He only had his three, his three sons, their wives, and his wife. His eight and all. And guess what? <laughs> they procreated the world, and sin was rampant all over again. Mm -hmm. And that's the same thing that's going to happen in the millennial kingdom. You said, wait a minute. The sheep is going into the millennial kingdom, aren't they saved? Yeah, they, they saved, but they're going to procreate when they get there. You got a thousand years, they're gonna procreate. Mm -hmm. And so you're gonna have a sin nature that's gonna that the sin nature of those that didn't really recognize who Jesus was in the millennial kingdom was gonna rise up against. And uh he's gonna lose Satan in the end, and this is where the rebellion is gonna come from. And he's gonna and the next thing we see in the in the Bible, he said in the in the eternal kingdom, you know. So you have to look, you have to realize that the Lord took care of that nonsense. He don't really have to go and tell us exactly what he did because afterwards, this and that, the eternal state and all of that. So he took care of that the uprising there in the millennial kingdom. But in the millennial kingdom, they, he said he's going to rule it around that. And he said, if you're only 100 years old in the millennial kingdom and you die, you be considered as what? Anybody remember that? There you. Yeah, a curse. A curse. You're 100 years old? Because you're supposed to live, if you go in there at 75, when it's all said and done, you're supposed to be 1,075 years old. 
So if you die at 100 years old, you, wow, you know. Mm. So uh, this is, it would be universal and in scope, right? His mm. dominion will be over the entire earth, which is prophesied in Genesis 49 and 10. He said, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And to him shall, shall be obedient, uh, an obedient people. Amen. And this is the, he said, it is, it, the scepter is already in, it been, been, been established. Amen. And it won't depart from Judah. Anybody want to add to that? Verse 6. As we move on. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is, is, is a right scepter, right? It's a right scepter. Okay. Anybody want to uh, uh, try to give something on that before I go? Elder Mac, the expositor that did talk talk about um, in Psalms 45 and 6, where there seemed to be a transition from um, uh, an earthly king to a heavenly king. And this is how we know that um, this uh, Psalms is talking about the Messiah. It's talking about Jesus. From an earthly king to a heavenly king? Yeah. Uh, where it says the throne, O God, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. And so... That's how we know that it can't be a, 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 a king that's a, a king that is human that will sit on the throne forever. And so um, what I thought I read in the expositor is where it says that there seems to be a shift right here, yeah. letting us know that um, it's not just talking about the celebration of a king that we started off with, that we're talking about the, uh, 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 a king that is human and divine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Human and divine. So. Uh, um why would not an earthly king do? They're not going to exist forever and ever. Simply, yeah, because uh, but not only that he's going to be an earthly king, but a heavenly king, and not only that, it's going to be a combination of king and priest. That's why the earthly king would not do. Mm -hmm. Amen. So, uh, anyone else? Good, good. The ruler here is, is uh, one of the thing, One of the things that uh, comes to me when reading this, and it's been said that there was a transition uh, mm -hmm. here. Uh, of course, we know that uh, there was that that dual meaning uh, prior to this, and, and we know that transition is now shifting to actually point to Christ, who would be uh, a a king who had a kingdom that would never end. Right now, we have world leaders uh, all over the globe that rise to power and then they fall and then somebody else comes to power they rise and then they fall but this is saying that this is the king of kings and the lord of lords he is going to be the last of the kings he's going to be the last of the lords he's going to be the last of the rulers uh, and his kingdom is going to last forever and it's not over a geographical location mm -hmm, mm -hmm. over the entire world uh, that uh, uh, he, he, his kingdom and his reign and his power is not going to be thwarted 
or taken over by someone else. Uh, he's also the ancient of days, so mm-hmm. he has no beginning and he has no end. So uh, uh, um, as, as comparing with the old kings, uh, the kings that we have now, the rulers, whether it be a dictator, whether it be a, a, a king, whether it be a president, whatever it might be, whatever we want to call them, they have, not just because of election sake, a term, but they have an appointment with death one day. They have an appointment mm-hmm. that God has yes. And God has also set this kingdom with mm-hmm. no expiration date whatsoever. There is no Amen. expiration for this king. And uh, I thought that that was something that uh, yeah. uh, kind of stood yes, out as I was looking uh, at this, uh, um, mm-hmm. this particular verse here. Amen. Uh, also, Amen. also uh, it mentioned about, you remember when we read it back in Isaiah about Uriah, desire, uh, how the, a lot of the kings wanted to go up to the temple to sacrifice. He wouldn't allow it, you know. But this king, 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 Lord, Lord, mm-hmm. this king right here gonna have both, you know, mm-hmm. be able to do that. Before mm-hmm. him, you know, he mm-hmm. wouldn't allow it. You, you was king, mm-hmm. was king here only on earth, you mm-hmm. know, that's it. But you couldn't be priest. Mm-hmm. So this is what this is what mm-hmm. this is about. Yeah, it was two kings there. Um, yeah, King Saul that tried to offer a sacrifice that that, that he, he did in Isaiah, you're right. And God dealt, he, he ripped the, uh, the dynasty from Saul and he, uh, Isaiah uh, uh, contracted, leprosy. contracted Amen. leprosy. Amen. And uh, that wasn't their role. There's only one, amen, that could be what? Uh, one man, you know, amen, that could be priest and prophet. Amen. And well, we know that, uh, wait a minute, I'm going to have to take that back for a minute because, you know, we have Moses and Samuel, right? Moses was priest and prophet as well and judge, not king. Same thing with Samuel, priest, prophet, and judge. But there's not been one man that can qualify or take that role as king, amen, that has been priest and prophet. But when Saul, Saul wasn't a priest, um, uh, and he wasn't a, well, he did prophesy at one time, but he wasn't in uh, the the credentials of a priest, where Samuel and Moses did. And uh, uh, they suffered an ultimate uh, uh, judgment on that. Amen. But uh, in this particular verse, verse six, amen, it, it shows here that it's a shift. Amen. So it can build up our understanding just a little bit more of who this king is. He said the ruler here is God, meaning Elohim, right? The Messiah. His throne, his throne is divine. Amen. Is a divine eternal throne. No man down here can, can sit on that one. Says the entire tone of this particular psalm. Uh, uh, like I said, it shifts. But the psalmist says, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. Now, he says, Thy son, this psalmist right at this point, is talking to the king. Right? He's talking to the king. He said, Thou, O God, what is he saying? He is, he, okay, well, we're going to, it's going to qualify some of this in the next verse, but here he's saying, here in verse, this is the shift, though. This is the start of it. He said, oh, God is forever. Thy throne is forever. So 
if he's talking to the Messiah, then he said, your uh, old God he said, oh, is forever and ever. So only one that qualifies to sit there on that throne is none other than the Messiah, King Jesus. The scepter of justice is the royal symbol, amen, that establishes his authority, his rule of integrity based on the laws of God. So uh, uh, here, and this is what he's, this is, this is who he's talking about. He's really alluding to the fact that the Messiah here is God. Amen. Old Testament prophecy in regards to what's going to happen later on. Uh, what is that song, that, that uh, particular scripture where we look through a mirror, mirror darkly right now? Amen. And uh, uh, we, we're going to see, uh, somebody can help me with that if they know the, the particular verse. But nonetheless, this is what it, that's how it's, it's look. We, we see these things. Uh, we, we were, they were looking through a mirror darkly, but they, they, didn't, they couldn't really understand the interpretation of certain things they couldn't grasp at the, at the time. And some of these things are mysteries that we can't even uh, today grasp some of these things. Amen. Anybody else have anything on verse six? six? And a lot of it is because due to the fact uh, even when the disciples when no Jesus, they didn't understand or they forgot. And the Bible reminded us that it was the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. that brought a lot of these, uh, you know, remind them and brought mm -hmm. a lot of these things mm -hmm. to heart. And mm -hmm. it's the same thing with us. I mean, uh, without the Spirit of God in us, Mm -hmm. I mean, we will be likewise. Well, that's what reminder. That's why we go to church. That's why we on the line now yes, to as being reminded of the goodness and mercy of the Lord. I mean, it's it's a daily uh, feeling, you know, and and this is what it's all about. Amen. The lesson said that here in verse seven. I'm going to read that. He said, "Love thou love is righteousness and hate is wickedness." Therefore, God, thy God hath anointed thee with oil of gladness above thy fellows. Let me read it again. Thou loveth righteousness and hatest wickedness. Therefore God, thy God, hath anointed thee with what? Oil of gladness before thy fellows. So this description of the king shows both that he is what? Sister Clore, divine, right, yeah. and human, man and God, right? Amen. At the same time. And this description only fits one person, the divine Messiah, King Jesus. In his deep love, right, for righteousness, he opposes all forms of wickedness. Why, why, why would... King Jesus opposed wickedness. Why couldn't it just exist around him? Anybody? He's holy, right? That's a bit simple. I don't, I need just, to go on. Just like night and, and, and darkness. You know, you walk into the room, flip light, darkness got to go. <laughs> the room not going to be half dark and half lit. They have a plethora of wickedness out here in this world. I mean, it's on, it's, you know, it's just crazy. And uh, uh, Jeremiah said the seventh, I think, seven fourteen or something like that. He said the heart is desperately wicked. 
Mm. Who can know it? Amen. Mm. You find wickedness, amen, in every human being. I ain't gonna say you can, I, I can't find it, you know, mm. but uh, uh, because of the fallen nature, wickedness can exist in all, like I said, it's a plethora of uh, uh, forms of wickedness in, in the world. And, and, and it is, the Lord labels it wickedness. Amen. Hmm. And I think uh, one of the sins uh, of wickedness was iniquity. I think iniquity was, 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 was used to qualify witness and some of these other things. But uh, it's there. Amen. And in the fallen nature of man. And so naturally, God, who is holy, he's going to oppose anything like that, all, all forms of it. Amen. Yeah. Anybody else? That scripture was Jeremiah seventeen nine. The heart is deceitful above all. Above things. all things, yes. Seventeen and nine. Mm -hmm. And even even uh, uh, Noah, God said to Noah in the sixth chapter of Genesis, He said, "My spirit would not always strive with man, because his heart is is evil continuously, <laughs> mm -hmm. Amen. on a continuous basis. Mm -hmm. The heart is evil." Amen. So that's evil and wickedness. Amen. You know, there's a lot of vices that we come up, we have, amen, mm -hmm. that uh, uh, make up the fallen nature. <laughs> uh, one of the other things that came to me uh, as I was looking at this and reading it, um, looking at uh, uh, Jesus as being mm -hmm. uh, the picture of righteousness, mm -hmm. the embodiment of righteousness. Yes. Um, that uh, his whole being is permeated with righteousness mm -hmm. and contrast mm -hmm. that with those that are lawless. Uh, he's also not just talking about those subjects under him, but those that came before him, predecessors, mm -hmm. comparing mm -hmm. his uh, his character and his qualities right. uh, up against those that came before him. And that would be the world rulers. That mm -hmm. would be the, the, the kings. That That's would be great. the dictators or whoever it might have been. Mm -hmm. um, and it says not that he's just righteous, but that he hates or hated lawlessness of mm -hmm. any kind, whether it be uh, the big things or the little things. And mm -hmm. this is relevant kind of uh, to mm -hmm. us today, because today people see the injustices that are going on in the mm -hmm. world. But with Christ, he's going to make all of that right. And he will okay. be a righteous and a just king, right? There won't be any favoritism. It won't be no nepotism. <laughs> none of these other isms that cause there yeah. to be two justices mm -hmm. or three justices or mm -hmm. four justices, but there will be one justice. There one will be justice, not one level of righteousness, but there will be righteousness the way that it was intended. And, mm -hmm. and look at Jesus compared to these other uh, uh, kings there's not another one that can say he is the embodiment of righteousness and that he hates. That's a strong word. Mm -hmm. Hate lawlessness. There's mm -hmm. some that will indulge in a little lawlessness here and there. They mm -hmm. will bend the rules a little bit mm -hmm. here. But this one, Jesus, will not do that. Uh, and, and, and it talks about there, you know, uh, uh, when you look at uh, this reference in the, uh, the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, uh, where it talks about uh, verse uh, chapter one, uh, verse eight and nine, but, right, the, right. but of the son, he says, right? Mm -hmm. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the right scepter is the uh -huh. scepter of the of His kingdom. 
It's Amen. a scepter. It's power. Ha you have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Mm -hmm. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. And those companions, you know, you're looking at uh, uh, everyone else, anybody else. He is head and shoulders above everyone else when it comes to righteousness and loving righteousness and hating lawlessness. Amen. 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 Praise God. Anybody else? You know, when you talk about righteousness there, you know, uh, uh, it's got to be like that before, uh, in order to come to God. And God knows that about all of us. He knows that our righteousness is what? Mm. Filthy rags. Mm. Filthy rags. Amen. And Jesus, amen, his righteousness. He knew that we, could, we couldn't come on our own. So he gave us his righteousness. Amen. Which is imputed righteousness. Righteousness that we didn't have. So we can stand before an angry God. Now he, he opposes all forms of wickedness. God's rule will be established on earth. Mm. Our Lord, as the descendant of David, inherited the royal throne. And, and elder Jews, you just got to reading it in Hebrews 1, 8 through 9. As the son of God, his kingdom is everlasting. Amen? Amen. Anybody else have anything on verse 7? And we continue on with the king because we got two more verses for him. It says, verse 8, all thy garments smell of myrrh. Am I on it right? No, no. Yeah, all thy garments smell of myrrh and aloes, right? And a cassia out of the ivory palaces whereby they have made thee glad. All thy garments smell of Myrrh, aloes, and cassia. What does that remind us of? We we see it. Burial of Jesus. The burial of Jesus and the preparation of his body. Yes, sir. We see it right there. Amen. We see it elsewhere, don't And it alludes to Jesus as well. At his birth, right? You see that. They brought myrrh, right? And yeah. some of these perfumes that, you know, that uh, 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 he anointed that baby, the baby Jesus with, the mm. king, the three kings. Man. The inspired poet turns here, his attention to the preparations of a wedding ceremony, right? Where Christ is bed decked or decked out, right? Shot in clothes, mm. amen with fragrance, with a fragrance of myrrh, with a fragrance of aloe, and with a fragrance of cassia. It was a pleasant fragrance, right? And it was connected, this, this right here was connected to the worship of Israel. God wanted this done. He said, incense was burned during the time of prayer at the temple. Now we find two or three fragrances that was used. I know we brought it out at his at his crucifixion or at his burial, and those who brought those fragrances was none other than who? Uh -huh. Nicodemus and who? Nicodemus and Joseph of Joseph Arimathea. They wrapped Jesus's body, right? Right. And in wrapping it, it foreshadowed Jesus' future anointing as in his coronation as King of Kings. Amen. 
is a, is a fragrant. It was a holy anointing oil that yes. was created specifically, right? right. To anoint the high priest, mm. the tabernacle and the vessels that were used for worship in Exodus 30, 22 through 33. They were created just for that. So if it was a, made for the high priest, who is our high priest? Who is our high priest? Amen. As, as, as the church today, King Jesus. Amen. He's our great high priest. Amen. And so these oils, amen, was anointed. You see where we're going? Amen. Mm. Anybody else? Let's look at the last one in regards to the king. It said, the king's daughters were among thy honorable women. Upon thy right hand did stand the queen in gold of Ophrah. Ophrah Winfrey. No, not Ophrah. Just kidding. Uh -huh. Amen. Ophrah. Amen. Anybody want to say anything about that? Mm -hmm. this is in this particular wedding, right, among the attendants, we find the royal female guests and the daughters of the king revealing that this royal wedding includes only the most esteemed guests. Mm. The queen standing at his right, amen, wearing a bridal garment woven in gold. Truly, this is an, uh, what do you call it? An idealized mm. wedding with pomp and what? Circumstance. Mm -hmm. Amen. Pomp, and it was it was what they want. It was an ideal, and they idealized it. <laughs> mm -hmm. It was an ideal wedding, but it seemed like it was some additives. Amen. Mm -hmm. The gold here comes from Ophir and is uh, noted in the ancient world for his excellent gold. Ophir is a place, <clears throat> and is noted in the ancient world for its excellent gold. The geo geographical, according to John MacArthur, he said, I don't, he didn't know where it was. It is unknown. Mm. Not known. This wedding, amen, according to 1 King 9 28, this wedding is a, a, a symbolic picture of the daughter of a greater son, the son of David, the Messiah. When he, reunite, when he re reunites his faithful people as a groom and a bride at the future messianic banquet so when he says all of this is is uh when he talked about the bride and all of this what is he really saying here what is the okay let me let me put it like this what is the symbolic understanding you know what i mean when i say that what is the the wedding is a symbolic picture of a daughter of the greater son david which is the messiah the church. Church. The bride is the church. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. That's it. Yes, ma'am. It's symbolic of the church. Elder C. Red, you said that uh, before in one of your lessons, you said that uh, King, uh, it might be, I mean, it was some arguments in regards to uh, who is going to sit on the throne in the millennial kingdom. And I remember someone said that it was like the uh, co-region, mm -hmm. but 
it wasn't could you explain that just a little oh yeah no i was just saying that it was various views uh in regards to um who would be sitting on the throne um would it be jesus and david and if it was jesus and david then folks like um pentecost stated that uh there was one view where it was believed that david would be resurrected and would be a vice regent uh, right. also reigning with with jesus mm -hmm. some felt that um it would be jesus only uh that would be ruling during the millennial kingdom mm -hmm. Others also cited that, which very few people believe, that it was uh, a descendant of, of David. Mm -hmm. Another descendant of David rather than the Messiah. Right, right. So uh, it's, it's, it's a, so the, the, uh, the groom, the groom uh, here uh, as a groom with the bride at the future messianic banquet. Uh, this is going to take place when the church, right? Yeah. The church, amen, is taken up. Mm -hmm. Amen. And then when this marriage supper of the Lamb happens, do we wait? Amen. When the rapture occurs and God raptures up the saints, the dead in Christ first, when we say rapture, we're talking about all saints, old and new. Mm. Is that is that when the marriage supper of the Lamb occurs? This great banquet and uh this beautiful bride that he has here that is adorned and in, in uh uh embroidered gold, amen. Is which is symbolic of Mother Wood said the church, and I'm in agreement with that. Amen. How that look? I mean, you see what I'm saying? Uh, the when does when does this supper, marriage supper of the Lamb occur? Is it afterwards? Do we go into the the uh, New Jerusalem first? Mm. Or do we? Is it is it going to happen right? there in outer space or when we say the third heaven or the second heaven we know that the third heaven is where the abode of god is mm -hmm. and the confusion we don't want amen in regards to the two of the new jerusalem and the abode of god but the marriage supper of the lamb is going to happen after the church is raptured up Mm -hmm. Amen. And it's going to be raptured up. Thessalonians says it. First Corinthians says it. 15th chapter, Thessalonians 5, 4 and 5, I believe. It says that we are going to be uh, partaking of the marriage supper of the Lamb. Amen. And uh, when that happens, amen. But we hear the Lamb, I just want to go back to us. We Amen. Are the, we are this bride that he's talking about here. Amen. And mm -hmm. we do have, and it's going to it's going to get into some more about this. But uh, we're the groom is none other than the Messiah, mm -hmm. and he's going to. And at this this big marriage supper, Amen. We he's going to marry his bride. He got all the 
the, the guest there that's, 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 that's checking all of this out. Amen. And, he, and this is where he's going to unite his faithful people. Mm -hmm. This is it's all futuristic. Amen. Anybody else have anything on verse verse nine? Uh, uh, Elder, um, getting back to what I had said earlier, it says that if we don't have the spirit of Christ, we are not his. I mean, I mean, you <laughs> you're not going to even make the journey. I mean, oh, it's, it's the same spirit that was in Amen. Jesus have to be in us. And speaking back, as we're talking about sitting on the right hand, you know, you have to be uh, Christ because he have to be divine. Mm -hmm. And when we was talking about that earlier. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. And Elder, I'm just, uh, you know, connecting the dots here. And I know that uh, you had stated earlier that uh, this could uh make reference to a earthly king, but also when this uh, psalm is looked, uh, looked at as a messianic psalm, it also refers to uh, Jesus when he's coming back during this millennial kingdom. So it seems like when you connect the dots, it seems like the writer is just getting excited about the fact that he understands what's coming and he's so excited that he wants to talk about it because the king is gonna come back as a warrior and he beat some people up who are not right. And then when he does that, he's going to change clothes. And he's going to get sharp for his wedding. And his bride is going to get dressed up as well. He's going to smell good. He's going to look good. Mm -hmm. Go ahead and have this wedding. And the wedding is going to be with the church. And uh, it's going to usher in the uh, eternity. That's right. Amen. And uh, uh, when he sets up his millennial kingdom, we find that even the church then is going to be uh, supportive in in his in his reign there in the millennial kingdom. The church is going to be like a Jacob's ladder. Mm. The saints is going to be coming down from the New Jerusalem, going back up and down, up and down. Now this is what I'm understanding. But nonetheless, Amen. Verse ten says, "Hearken, old daughter." Amen. Everything was good. Anybody else have anything? Let's go on. Hearken, O daughter, and consider, and incline thine ear. Forget also thine own people and thy father's house. Amen. The bride is seated at the right hand of the king, right? Being adorned with a valuable gold, with the value, with the uh, with the valuable gold of Ophir. Said so the queen is a foreign of foreign descent. And uh, just a little interpretation of foreign descent, like she's, uh, like we, it, we is talking about <laughs> the men and women down here. Amen. We're foreign, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, uh, having a foreign descent, having their left her father's house, right? Referencing Genesis 12 and 1, where it says that the Lord said to Abraham, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house. And the psalmist here encourages his, the bride, right? To be loyal to the people, to be loyal to the people of God, mm -hmm. by forgetting her own loyalty to her native land. He also encourages her to submit to her, submit herself fully to her husband. Okay, now there's a lot there. Mm -hmm. So uh, uh, it's still what we can still say is symbolic, right? 
Amen. When you come to the Lord, amen. You come to the Lord, you have to give up. You know, it says uh, 2 Corinthians say what? 517. If any man mm -hmm. be in Christ, he's a new old things pass away. You got these things are gonna, gonna have to be given up. Amen. Mm -hmm. And he's not gonna see you if you if, with the Holy Spirit. But nonetheless, even being sealed with the Holy Spirit, Spirit, we find ourselves going back to Egypt at times. But here he's saying that uh, uh, you need to be loyal to uh, your husband. Now that alludes to as well to, amen, uh, Ephesians, the fifth chapter, doesn't it? Where he mm -hmm. tells the husband to love your wife and Christ love your church. And we're talking about a submissive type of thing here. Mm -hmm. So the psalmist encourages Bride to be loyal to, to, to the people of God and forgetting her own loyalty. And there's another example of that in, is as in uh, the book of Ruth, the first chapter, the 16th verse, where Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you. She's talking to her mother, Naomi. Mm -hmm. He said, uh, uh, to leave me from following you. Where I go, where you go, I go. Where you lodge, I lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God shall be my God. And that's what he's, that, that right there, is is symbolic of how the believers are to be towards the lord or to jesus amen jesus god is not your lord and personal savior only one person fits that role and that's the our lord and savior jesus the god of us no it's not the god but jesus christ is the only one that god sent to do this He's the only one who's the Lord and personal savior. So then we have to give loyalty, show our loyalty, not only to Jesus. If we show it to Jesus, we really are showing it to God and the Holy Spirit as well. So, you know, nobody is being left out, but we're out of obedience. We're doing what we're supposed to do as men and women of God in regards to our loyalty and who we are devoted to. Amen. So yeah. where, where is your lodge? Amen. And is that, if, is that in the Lord? Anybody have any other comments? He said, but there is yeah, just a little bit more. He said, it's a historical fact that women, uh, when a woman marries, she leaves her family, right? That's, that's a given, right? And she cleaves unto who? Her husband. And it's the same thing with the church. When we are saved, we break our past relations and we gain new ones with the fam with, with uh, the, the, fam the woman breaks old relations and I'm, I'm seeming like a, a women is always, <laughs> I'm not trying to be showing this or anything, but uh, this is what the women are supposed to do. But you know what? It's really a vice versa thing anyway, because these ties that I have as a husband with my family, they got to be broken too if it's going to come in between us. Amen. And so this is what the Lord is saying. These things, they, they got to be considered. And he's talking about how the believers here is going to come to uh, King Jesus, Amen. And these examples, these symbolic, these the symbolism is is showing how this happens in regards to how a woman and a man, when they get married, 
how these things, these ties are broken and uh, uh, that we can be, and it's talking about believers coming to the Lord and all these ties that we have with the world have to be broken. You're going to have to be broken in order to serve and, and, and honor and worship uh, uh, God the way he wants you, that, that according to the scriptures. Anybody else? Yes. Go ahead, go ahead. It's just like you said, like the woman leave her environment and become into a new environment mm -hmm. of, of that husband. That's where the church will. I mean, even take on the husband, the last name. Mm -hmm. And so we take on Christ's identity, you know, once we you know as the uh, bride. So I think this is more what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. So uh, verse 11, let's rush, let's go, let's get on through this, man. We got uh, all these verses, but uh, we might not be able, I mean, we might not be able to get through them all, amen, because of time, but uh, I don't know if anybody's going anywhere, but uh, uh, nonetheless, amen, the king is God's anointed representative. And we had, I do, I don't want to uh, violate, I don't want to be uh, out of line, Sister Ratcliffe. Sister Ratcliffe. The king is God, verse 11, the king is God anointed representative and uh, submission to him supply, implies submission to God. So while the king delights in physical beauty, but I didn't read verse 11. So the king greatly desires the beauty for the soil, for he is thy Lord and, and worship thou him. So the king is God's anointed representative uh, and submission to him implies submission to God. So while the king delights in physical beauty of his wife, right? She respects him as her Lord. And I would like for my wife, if she's listening, to start calling me Lord. The word worship in scripture can mean to show reference, amen, reverence, right? And respect as well as to give praise to God. In context, the bride is to get reference to, uh, to, get reference to her husband, the king, and in another sense, the church to worship the eternal king. Let's look at verse 12. The daughter of Tyre shall be there with a gift, and the rich among the people shall entreat thy favor. Tyre, during Solomon's reign, brought precious uh, uh, gifts as well as, uh, as, as other nations did to Jerusalem because of uh, the international reputation that King Solomon had. You know, he was like seven, one of the seven wonders of the world. The prophet hearing envisioned the era, amen, of restoration as the time went when the nation would bring gifts, amen, to signify the special position God's people have among the nations. They're going to give them, you find it in Zechariah 14, 14, Revelation 24, 26, 24 verses 24, 21 verses 24 and 26, and Revelation 15, 4. Verses 13 through 15. Here we find the bride leaving her fine father's house to go to her husband. Amen. Verses 14 and 15. And it says, she shall be brought into, unto the king in raiment of needlework. The virgins, her companions that follow her shall be brought unto thee. With gladness and rejoicing shall be brought, they shall enter into the king's, into the king's palace. That was a lot. 
But here we find the bride leaving her father's house to go to her husband. And she is glorious and arrayed in splendor. Amen. You have an embroidered gold dress. Amen. They said that uh, if anybody ever tried to, uh, the, the curtains in the temple, when they tried to sell them, this is this, this embroidered curtain is rough and, and it was hard to sew. This was the type of dress that this bride had on. And so it says what she brought with her, she brought with her the virgins or the, her companion, her companions to, to the king. So if you're going to bring somebody with you to the, you know, this is what we do. This, this is evangelistical, I believe. Amen. And when they get saved, you bring them too. Amen. They all come with gladness and rejoicing. She is adorned in a, in a magnificent bar, uh, 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 dress or a gown of, of gold fabric. And she and her wedding party are carried into the palace on floats of joy. Floats of joy and gladness. They are so glad. This is what this poet, he's just bringing it out. See, in scriptures, uh, 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 in scriptures, spotless garments are fine and are connected with holiness. The angels, amen. Some of them had well, raiment, they were raiment, their clothes were white, right? When you saw them, they had, all of them were like that. But some were had white and shiny garments. So these images help create, amen, the metaphor that that holiness and purity are equated with clothing that is lavish and, and spotless. So we gonna have uh, uh, those that were, uh, uh, gave their lives during the millennial kingdom, not millennial, but the tribulation period, they had white robes and it was just something about their, uh, gar their, their makeup with the wreath versus the crown of gold that we have as the church before the tribulation period. Elder Mac, I like the fact that as this talks about the uh, how the bride and the groom are arrayed and all of this and the, the holiness of the garments, but it also implies we give God our best. We come in our best, whatever mm -hmm. our best is. And, mm -hmm. and this is such a beautiful way to bring that out in this lesson. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so the, the garments that we wear, you know, it's because of what the, the imputed righteousness that the Lord gave us. He said he's going to forgive you for all your sins, but we got to appear before the judgment seat to give account of what we've done. But nonetheless, he said you shall be saved. First Corinthians third third chapter, Amen. And when uh, uh, your your works are tested, you know are they, what are they made up of? Gold, silver, hay, stubble, or straw. And in Second Corinthians five and ten, where he says that we got to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And then when we go there, he's going to give an account where these, these particular metals or these works that you've done is going to be judged. And so, you know, nonetheless, the eternal life, you're going to come in, you're going to have some type of uh, being cleaned up with the righteousness of Christ to the point you said you won't, there's no condemnation, but you're going to enter in. There's a lot said right there, but uh, uh, which is probably another, another topic, but Nonetheless, these are some of the angels which, uh, and some of the uh, robes and the garments during this uh, help to create the metaphor of holiness. And this is what it's all about. Holiness and, and purity. Amen. And uh, these clothes are supposed to be lavished and spotless. And this is how we're going to look when we come before Jesus. And these last two verses, amen. He says, instead of thy fathers shall be thy children, whom thou madest make princes in all the earth. 
I will make thy name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore shall the people praise thee forever and ever. The king's children, the poet now moves, amen, from the queen to the king, right? And as the most prominent member of the wedding party, who is the king, right? The final two verses make references, amen, to children who result from the royal marriage, right? Amen. As Samuel prophesied, God promised that David would not fail to have a descendant ruling on the throne of Israel, 2 Samuel 7 and 12 and 16. It says here, God's covenant promise that will come, God's covenant promise will come at the return of Jesus Christ. Therefore, the king's name will be remembered throughout all generations. Amen. So here in that, he said, I will make thy name be remembered in all generations. Therefore shall the people praise thee forever and ever. Amen. So I, I, the, the children that he's, he's talking about here moves from the, when you see he's moving from the king, the, the king to the queen to the king, makes reference to the children who result from a marriage, the marriage supper of the lamb. Now all of that, what he's talking about is still symbolic. But he's talking about we as believers, how we win souls, how we bring souls to the Lord. And when we have in, in, in our marriage, our children, we train them up in the way we should go. Amen. Amen. He says, uh, and that's Ephesians 6 and, and, uh, and other passages in the Old Testament, where how you train up a child. But nonetheless, we train up those who uh, come and, and exercise their faith and want to come to the Lord. Amen. Uh, counseling wise, we help them understand exactly uh, what the plan, God's plan of salvation is. And we know that he planned it. God, the father and Jesus provided it. God, the son and the Holy Spirit applies it to the uh, help, applies that, applies what Jesus did to our lives because it's his ministry right now. It's the Holy Spirit's ministry. So on that note, anybody have anything else? Amen. In regards to this, this Sunday school, I know there's a lot there, and it's a whole lot more. But is there anybody else have any more comments? Amen. In regards to the lesson, no further comments here. Amen. Is, uh, there's one that has led to want to take us out. Amen. Praise God. Oh, yeah.